Our second reading this morning comes from Mark's Gospel. It's chapter 8, verses 34 through 36, and you can find it at page 34 of the New Testament section of your Pew Bibles. Jesus called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake or for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? We celebrate the written word of Scripture. We celebrate the written word, Christ among us. Please pray with me. Spirit of life, God of love, open our hearts and enter them, that hearing your word of love, we may become your love for others. Amen. In the romantic comedy, The Wedding Singer, Adam Sandler plays Robbie, a wedding singer in the 1980s when bands, rather than disc jockeys, were fixtures at wedding receptions. Robbie loves his work, but then he's left standing at the altar at his own wedding. His pain and anger at being jilted spill over into his next wedding gig, where he startles the newlyweds and their guests by serenading them with Jay Giles' band rant against unrequited love, love stinks. I thought about naming this sermon, Love Stinks. After the death of his wife, C.S. Lewis wrote, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. Anyone who has lost a loved one knows this. For that matter, anyone who has been a parent or who's been married for more than a couple of years or who has tried to get along with a sibling or a co-worker, anyone who has tried to love anyone knows this. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul's famous chapter on love, is usually read at weddings, and in that setting of high hopes and romance, this passage sounds romantic. Love is kind. Love never ends. It's Hallmark card stuff. A couple of weeks ago, I was asked to read 1 Corinthians 13 at a memorial service. That knocks the hearts and cupids off of this passage. When you're reflecting back over a lifetime, you can see the hard work of love in tough times. Paul wasn't writing to newlyweds. 1 Corinthians is a letter to a church, a church embroiled in a conflict. The Corinthian church had split into factions. One group insisted that some Christians deserved first-class treatment while everybody else belonged back in coach. Just imagine, that this is only around 50 years after Jesus, and folks are already that unclear on the concept. So Paul reminds the Corinthians both that love is the prime directive of the Christian faith and that it is a decision, it is a discipline, it is a practice. 
Paul would likely agree with author Brian McLaren, who says the church is to be a school of love, the place where we learn how to do the hard work of love. Echoing Paul's letter about what that looks like, McLaren writes, you can't learn to love people without being around actual people, including people who infuriate, exasperate, annoy, offend, frustrate, encroach upon, resist, reject, and hurt you, thus tempting you not to love them. You can't learn the patience that love requires without experiencing delay and disappointment. You can't learn the kindness that love requires without rendering yourself vulnerable to unkindness. You can't learn the generosity that love requires outside the presence of heartbreaking and unquenchable need. You can't learn the peaceableness that love requires without being enmeshed in seemingly unresolvable conflict. You can't learn the humility that love requires without moments of acute humiliation. You can't learn the determination that love requires without opposition and frustration. You can't learn the endurance that love requires without experiencing the unrelenting seduction to give up. McLaren concludes, This difficult way, this way of love and suffering, this way of Christ, is unavoidably the way of the cross. That is what Jesus means in Mark's Gospel when he says his followers are to deny themselves and take up their crosses. He means we are to bear the pain and suffering that inevitably comes when we open ourselves up to love, when we allow our hearts to be broken open by love for others. Traditional theology tends to look at the cross as a transaction, a single event that fixed everything and saved us. But what Jesus really intended by the cross is transformation. The cross is the pattern of his life and our lives when we put love first. It is the path, it is the way of liberation, which is another very good word for salvation. The cross is not a requirement in order that we can go to heaven later. It is an invitation so that we can live an entirely full life now. That's why I decided not to name the sermon, Love Stinks. Even though love is hard, even though love hurts, love is our calling as followers of Jesus, and the way of vulnerable, even painful love is the only hope for human liberation and even survival. I'll repeat that. The way of love is the only hope for human survival. Jesus said, For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? C.S. Lewis helps us make sense of these enigmatic verses. 
Following his observations about the vulnerability of love that I quoted earlier, Lewis wrote, if you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries, avoid all entanglements, lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness, but, continues Lewis, but in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. So can you see it? Closing ourselves off from love, closing our hearts like a clenched fish, fist, just might mean less pain. Isn't that why we hang on to grudges against family members and refuse to forgive our spouses? Isn't that why we look away from the man who's standing at the intersection holding that sign and asking for a handout? Isn't that why we turn off the news about Syrian refugees or another black man shot by police? Because love costs us, it costs us something, because having empathy for someone else's pain means we feel it too, and it hurts, and we might actually need to do something about it. Because when we really do love somebody, we won't want to insist on our own way. We will be patient, we'll be kind, we'll compromise and be generous, and suffer frustration and humiliation, and that costs us. The closed fist heart may indeed hurt less, but if we try to protect our hearts from love, we lose everything worth living for. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. And save the world. Because, my friends, the unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable heart is the cause of most, if not all, of human-caused suffering. As our summer of love draws to a close next week, the irony is not lost on me that there are forces in our country that would turn the summer into the summer of hate. Although, as Doug Olds reminded us earlier this summer, the summer of 1967 was also the summer of the Detroit riots, a response to police brutality. So here we are again. I'm not going to talk to you about loving your enemies today. Scott Clark preached a truly excellent sermon on that topic on July 30th, and I recommend that you read it. It's on our website. But I will say this. The closed-fisted heart, the heart that chooses hate, is a wounded heart. And as someone has said, hurt people hurt people. Wounded, hurt people deserve our compassion, and at the same time, the love to which Jesus calls us is a just love. It must be just, or it is not actually love. As Cornell West puts it, justice is what love looks like in public. What happened in Charlottesville last weekend and what's planned for the weeks ahead tell us that the people behind white supremacist demonstrations do not want either love or justice 
at least not for all people. They want the people who aren't like them and who disagree with them out of the way, and they will use intimidation and violence to achieve that. Last weekend was the most un-American display I've ever seen in our country. You cannot be both a freedom-loving, constitution-supporting, patriotic American and a fascist. So I pray for healing for people who are consumed by hate and at the same time, cross-carrying love at this moment in time means standing up and speaking out. It means condemning white supremacy, racism, anti-Semitism, and every other kind of hatred. We all need to figure out what that looks like for us as individuals, and we've started discussing it, what, what it means for us as a congregation. My report on our gathering last Tuesday night will appear in the September newsletter, and I invite everyone into that ongoing discussion. While we need to face the fact that too often the American church has accepted the status quo, here and now we will not stand silent in the face of injustice and oppression. That is not the way of love. Perhaps we can learn something from the German town of Wunsiedel. It was the original burial place of Rudolf Hess, one of Hitler's deputies. Every year for decades, neo-Nazis marched to his gravesite. The town staged counter-demonstrations, and in 2011, they even exhumed Hess's body and removed his gravestone. The neo-Nazis returned anyway. In 2014, the town tried a different tactic. The campaign was called the Right Against the Right, and it turned the march into an involuntary walkathon. For every meter the neo-Nazis marched, Local residents and businesses pledged to donate 10 euros to a program that helps people leave right-wing extremist groups. They turned the march into a mock sporting event. Someone stenciled a start line and a finish line onto the street. People hung colorful signs and silly slogans along the route. A sign at the end of the route thanked the marchers for their 10,000 euro contribution to the anti-Nazi cause. That's about $12,000. And then someone showered the marchers with rainbow confetti at the end. The approach has spread to other German towns as well as to a town in Sweden. Faith, hope, and love abide, these three, wrote Paul. I have both faith and hope in the greatest of these the way of Jesus, the way of broken open, the broken open heart, the way of love. It is not the easy way. It is not the pain-free way. But it is the way of joy, of gladness, of limitless grace, of ultimate peace and freedom, and of hope for the world. We can't do everything to address hate on our own as individuals or even as a community. But we can move toward love. We can point the way to the path of love. We can make this place a school of love. My friends, it's back to school time. May it be so for you and for me. Amen.